It's time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Let's be honest. We live in a very narcissistic world especially if you're in the Western side, but I think around the world, we live in a fairly narcissistic way of thinking most highly about ourselves and second highly about our own culture, which sometimes blinds us to other people and other opportunities. And so part of what I think happens when we're trying to raise thriving children is is figuring out how to inoculate them from the narcissistic world or to give them an antidote to the narcissistic world to see something else because narcissism has an end result and it's usually about unhappiness and frustration because the rest of the world doesn't necessarily want to treat you in the same way you want to be treated. We're watching now as our culture struggles with narcissism on so many levels, whether it's in leadership or within culture about the belief that whoever I am is the best, whoever, whatever I am is the best, and that I deserve everything coming in my direction. I deserve success, and I deserve adulation, and I deserve money. And I believe that part of what's happened is that we've lost track over the years with a realistic viewpoint. Now, let me just say that this has been a growing issue for a number of years, and I believe that we have made a shift from neurosis to narcissism, if you want to kind of have a clinical idea of what that means, where before we lived in a feeling of shame and that there's something wrong with us, and we've made a shift that now we, we live in a feeling that we are superior and everything is about us. And that shift has happened probably over the last two, three, four decades uh, as we have begun to shift this mindset. I think part of it we can look at uh, how we have decided to raise kids based in this idea of self-esteem, that kids should feel good about themselves. Now, let me be very clear. I don't want kids to feel bad about themselves. That's not the opposite. Sometimes it's easy for us to argue the opposite uh, as the, the bad point. So you're saying that, you know, my child should feel bad about themselves. No. In fact, I think thinking about ourselves is part of where we get into trouble. The problem is that we have created a culture of esteem without a basis for it. And I've talked about this before, but just to kind of reiterate, if you haven't heard my old podcast, one of the things about the self-esteem movement that has so so been propagated into our culture, into our school system, into our athletics and everywhere else, has been a misguided understanding of self-esteem. Nathaniel Brandon is considered to be the father of self-esteem, and he believed that people should feel good about doing good, about the, how they have acted in the world. And unfortunately, in our shortcutting world, we reduce that to just the first part. People should feel good about themselves. And we forgot about, the, about doing good. And so we've watched a culture that spins around with people trying to feel good about themselves in spite of the fact that everybody else is trying to feel good about themselves. And that creates a difficult time when everybody is feeling like they uh, deserve the best, are the best, and should have the best. And then they're faced with the realities that that's not necessarily the case. So part of what I believe has happened in our culture is that we've gotten too big of a shot of narcissism. 
I don't think we need to return to the neurotic side. The neurosis was that we were filled with shame and, and, and parenting came by fear and, and by shaming and, and all those other ways of controlling. But I think we might have moved the other way. The pendulum might have swung too far the other way, and there may be another point. So what are the antidotes to this uh, narcissism in our world? Well, I believe that there are three core ones, meaning, purpose, and gratitude and appreciation. Meaning, purpose, gratitude, appreciation. I believe those are the pieces that do the balance. Narcissism is an overly fixated place on the self and the entitledness of the self. Narcissism is about believing the world owes me, that there is some specialness to me. Not that everybody is not special. I believe that everybody is unique and special, but this is about when a person believes that they are uniquely special, (laughs) that somewhere along the way they picked up that they are uniquely special and therefore entitled, and often it's tied to a false sense of accomplishment. In my office, I've had many opportunities to challenge people on their false sense of accomplishment. And I've had people say, you know, I'm impressed with your accomplishments, enough for me to say you're missing a piece of it. So a lot of times people say, wow, you have a PhD, you must be really smart. And my response is, I'm really stubborn. I'm willing to keep pushing forward. But here's the thing I know. That accomplishment was not just me. It was about my family and my family's values. It was about the fact that I had people supporting me along the way. It was the fact that I had a loving and supportive wife that would put up with me going to class after class and going through degree after degree and struggle after struggle uh, while we were trying to get our family started. That's not just about me. That's about a group. I met with somebody years ago, and he came in and he said, you know, I am a self-made man. And I said, really, tell me about that. And he said, well, I have built my business, my own business. And and he was fairly well off. And he said, I've built my business all on my own. And I stand where I am because of my actions. And I challenged him and said, are you really that self-made man? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, didn't you buy your business from your father? And he said, well, I, I did, but I built it up from there. I said, yes. But didn't you buy it from him? He said, yes, but I bought it. You know, I bought it from him. So, And I said, didn't you buy that business based on the profits paying back the purchase? In other words, that you didn't have to come up with the money to buy it? And he said, well, yes, yes, but I bought it. I, I, you know, I spent the time and I took the risk. And I said, okay, I will grant you, you took the risk. But do you see that there was more than you at play in that? And part of what I challenge him about is that there were other people that were involved in that business that didn't have the opportunity he had to buy the business. Oh, and by the way, his father had bought the business from his father, and it had gone through several generations. This is often the mistake we make where we believe that we're where we are solely by our own actions, even if part of what got us there was where we landed in the fortune of the gene pool, right? We just happened to land at a good place in the gene pool, and we happened to land in a place where things could prosper, and we happened to land in a place where we're not stuck in a lot of turmoil. Those are are lots of fortunate spots along the way, of, of happenstances along the way that aren't just about our own accomplishments. I really don't believe that anybody fully succeeds on their own. I just don't think it's possible for somebody to have no outside help 
even as I talked to somebody who said, look at me, you know, I've built this business up. I started this store and look how successful I am. It's all on me. And I said, what about your customers? And he said, what do you mean? I said, your, your success is based on the fact that you have customers coming in your door. So even your success is not entirely you. It's based on your customers. It's based on your staff that do a good job. He said, yes, but I chose my staff. I said, yes, you make good choices. My point is that we all are in this together. We, it's, it's a group project no matter what we're doing. And part of what happens when we believe it's all me is that it creates a thriving entitlement. And I deserve this because I am somehow special in my own mind. That's what creates the narcissism that's infected our culture in so many ways. So now let's talk about the antidotes to that, those narcissism that we can help our kids understand. The first thing is we have to deal with our own narcissism and be able to see that part of where we are is out of good fortune. Part of where we are is out of our own choices and actions, but also about the fortunes that are created for us. So let's talk about these three pieces of the antidote. The first one is meaning. To me, humans are built to look for meaning. And when we don't find meaning in deeper places, we find it in shallow places or we despair. That's the other side of meaning is being caught in despair. Meaning is being able to draw a deeper sense of purpose, a deeper sense of depth from different events. And sometimes people go through the exact same events and one person has a deep sense of meaning and the other person feels very hollow. Think about that in terms of holiday, for instance. There are some people who find a deep meaning in any given holiday and others who make it into a commercial exchange. It's the same event, but somebody draws meaning, some depth from it, some connection to it that's, that's deeper in, in what I would say is in ourself, in our soul. It, it feeds that deeper area. When we think about those pieces of ourselves, our soul, our self, our deepest self, our truest self, is what draws us away from narcissism. It's the ego that gets caught up in the narcissism. But there's something deeper there that we all sense. When I talk with people and they say, you know, I just, I don't know what to do. I feel like such despair. And we start talking about the surface things and then we begin to circle down to the deeper things. What does it mean to, to have friends around you? What does it mean to have loved ones around you? What does it mean to have uh, beliefs in the world and what it means to be in the world? What does it ha- mean when you look at these events in the world and you can draw from it? My belief is that whenever these big events come, we either have a choice of despair or meaning. So how do we get there? One is that we set an example for our kids, that we begin to look for deeper meaning around us. And that might be religious, might be spiritual. It might be just a sense of being a part of of a bigger world. There are many people who find their meaning in trying to fix the social ills. They find their meaning in trying to address the problems with other people. And by the way, meaning and purpose sometimes overlap. Sometimes our purpose gives us meaning. But sometimes when we are just in the midst of a struggle, we can draw meaning from that. I've worked with people who were in the midst of terminal illnesses that found their place of meaning in deepening relationships with others around them. They found their meaning in their illness and and struggling with that and moving through that. And so part of what our family can be about 
is, is really focusing on those deeper meanings, which is the opportunity given to us in celebrations and commemorations, birthdays and holidays and, and remembrances of difficult times. Those are where we can begin to show our kids that deeper place of meaning. So if you're involved in a rel- religious community, to look for the deeper meanings of those holidays and celebrate those deeper meanings and draw them out. And talk about the stories that they come from. Some of the narratives from our religious backgrounds are are places where we pull out that deep meaning. We can also find it, though, in remembering different events. As you're listening to this, we're one week past the 16th anniversary of 9-11. And I noticed the commemorations that were going on. And for many people, that was a time of grief but also of deep meaning of of who they are and who they've become and and how we have all begun to move beyond that event in ways that look back on it and draw the meaning from it. Then there are the family events, the celebrations, the birthdays, the anniversaries that can talk about the continuation of family, the depth of family connection, the depth of that person, of celebration of that person that create meaning in a family. And then there are community events. I just talked about one that happened a week ago, but the community events that happen in even small places where we celebrate the togetherness, where we celebrate how we have the cementness of our culture based in our relationships around us. That's helping a family draw into that deeper place of meaning, which draws us into purpose. Purpose is about actions. What, what do I do in action? Meaning is, is, is kind of bringing in that deeper sense into the self. But purpose is how we reach out in ways that feed us. What is my purpose? Along the way, I've been fortunate. My father uh, and mother were both people who looked at their careers as places of purpose. My father was a minister. My mother was a school counselor. And they both found deep purpose and meaning in what they were doing. Their careers were their purpose. And as they reached out, they would talk to us about the purpose of their life, of seeing themselves as being involved in something greater than just them. And that's where the antidote comes in from both meaning and purpose. It ties us into something that's greater than just us. It brings us into being a citizen of the world, a citizen of our culture, a citizen of our community, a citizen of our family, and anchors us in that place of understanding. So we begin to help our children understand purpose by doing purpose, by being involved in purposeful actions and activities, whether uh, it's being activistic in movements or whether it's volunteering or whether it's donating or doing something good for those who are at a different life circumstance. We set an example by that. But here's the thing that I often notice as I was working with families The parents were doing that. I had parents coming in who were making donations to great organizations and serving on the boards and doing all kinds of volunteer work, but they didn't let their child know about it. It was invisible in the family. And part of setting an example is doing it, but also talking about it and sharing that with a child because a child doesn't know where you're drawing your meaning and purpose unless we talk about it. It becomes invisible sometimes. And so part of that setting your example is asking, what is your own purpose as a citizen and as a human in the world? This brings the big question of asking ourselves, why am I here? And for children, why are we here? What's our purpose here? What are we called to do? What are we moving towards? 
I also believe that one helpful thing in this place of meaning and purpose is to talk about vocation and avocation with the child. I remember sitting in with a family uh, that were really trying to help a child uh, who was in college try to figure out where to go. The father, a businessman, wanted the child to go into business. The mother was listening to a deeper calling that the child seemed to want to go into the ministry, and that was what the struggle was with. And the child didn't know who to listen to. And my point to the child was there's not a right answer necessarily. I mean, you can choose which one's the right answer for you. But you might go into business and make sure you're doing things that are of, of help to other people. You can also be a minister from that perspective. You can serve in any way. It doesn't matter necessarily your vocation. But if you decide that your full vocation is about meaning and purpose, that's okay too. That's a great place to be. Just recognize that there are many ways to get to that place of meaning and purpose. I think our problem is that many times when we have those vocational discussions with our kids, we're looking at what they're good at. We're looking at what they're skilled at, and we're not asking what's the deeper calling for them. We're the place where they bring their their own gifts into a place where they are excellent in doing it because it creates a meaning and a purpose for them. To me, that's the heart of having those vocation and avocational discussions with our kids. And then there is this gratitude and appreciation. And part of what happens when we are expressing gratitude and appreciation is it takes us away from our natural point of scarcity thinking to a place of seeing possibility thinking, of seeing how we are at a a, a good place just where we are. I remember when I was a child, my father, uh, being a pastor, um, at least at that point in his life, wasn't well compensated, and uh, life wasn't uh, just riches with us. We, We lived pretty simply and lived pretty well because I think my parents had a place of appreciation within them. And I remember many times around the dinner table, my father saying, you know, we are so, so blessed that we we made it through this month. We had enough. My father wasn't complaining that he didn't have extra. My father wasn't complaining that we couldn't go buy a sports car or go on a big vacation or, or do lots of other things. That wasn't his point of reference because that's about scarcity, what I can't have. And in our world, there is an endless list of scarcities if we want to focus on that. There's always something else we could want or would want. But it changes when we begin to appreciate what we do have. His point was that we had enough, that we were blessed to have enough when others didn't have that. And so part of what I recognize is he set an example of gratitude and appreciation at every meal. He wanted to have a blessing, uh, showing gratitude and appreciation for what we had. Not asking for more, but showing gratitude and appreciation for what we had. It's setting an example of that appreciation and gratitude. But then also we need to have expectations of our kids. And I think those expectations uh, function around several areas. One is have an expectation that kids will express their gratitude and appreciation. It may be thanking somebody for the gift they gave them. It may be uh, just expressing gratitude for uh, a teacher working so hard with them or a coach working so hard, but to create an expectation that that child will express gratitude. Will it be begrudging in the beginning? Absolutely. But that begins to be a habit that expands along the way. Then we also have expectations of help, that that Family members help each other, but also that we will help the community. 
for years, my family has been involved in a program that allows uh, anybody to come in and help serve lunch to those less fortunate. And one of the things I loved about that program is that we had kids that were coming in two years old all the way up until, you know, late adulthood that were able to come in and, and help and give back and feel good about what they were doing. And also creating an awareness that helping is a rhythm of life that, that feeds that meaning and purpose, but it also serves as a way of giving back, of showing appreciation and gratitude. So helping family members and helping a bigger community can be a family expectation. Notice I said a family expectation, not just expecting the child to do that, but that the family can operate from that perspective. I also believe that there can be uh, an expectation of respect. Whenever we are disrespectful of somebody else, we're putting them in a position of lower place. And that's not about gratitude. That's not about appreciation. It's about trying to better themselves. But what if we worked towards a respect for all people? How does that change how we think about our place in the world? And the last one is just recognizing. Recognizing the places of gratitude, recognizing like my father would do for us, recognizing how blessed and fortunate you might be at different times. Even when the times are tough, to be able to look and say, well, what's, what's nice about this? What's the good part of this? Where are we fortunate? Where are we blessed? Whatever the terminology you want to use, how can we be appreciative and have gratitude for where we are? Okay, so that's the attitude uh, to dealing, uh, the antidote to a narcissistic world. It's, it's how we inoculate our kids from the narcissism, is working from a place of helping them see meaning and purpose and gratitude. If this has been helpful for you, remember that I have a book on this. <laughs> I wrote the book, Thrive Principles. It's 15 strategies for how to build your thriving life. And here's the thing that I try to make note of during this series of parenting. These are principles that can be taught to your child. You need to understand them first, but they're principles that you can pass along. That's the way kids learn, by watching us do it and hearing from us on how to do that. So I would invite you to find out more about that. You can find the book wherever you like to buy books, but you can also find more about it at thethriveprinciples.com, thethriveprinciples.com. In fact, you can look at a chapter of it right there. But check it out at thethriveprinciples.com or buy it wherever you like to get your books. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best. As you live a thriving life and help your kids have a thriving life. You've been listening to the Thrivology Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it.